Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Tottenham Way. Although quite clearly the way things are going, the Tottenham Way is not the right way just at the moment. We are coming to terms with a third successive disappointment. There was the FA Cup defeat at Sheffield United. There was the league defeat at Wolves. And now the nil-nil with AC Milan. Tottenham's first goalless draw at home, by the way, in 148 games. And that, of course, means that we are out of the Champions League and it's left us with all sorts of questions. And we will attempt to answer some of those over the next 45 minutes or so. What does this exit mean in terms of Antonio Conte's future at the club? So many people predicting that that is it. He is going to go. Will he? Will he go now? Will he go at the end of the season? Will it depend on whether they manage somehow to claw on to fourth place? And if he does go... Who will succeed him? There are a lot of issues to get to the nub of. And I'm delighted to have Tom Allnut of The Times, Tom Barkley of The Sun, and Dan Kilpatrick of The Evening Standard to try and work them all out. I'm Marcus Buckland. Dan, I don't suppose you're going to be able to cheer our spirits too much, but what is your take? And by the way, there is no hot take lane this week. This is too serious. We're too down in the dumps to have such frivolous fun. Hot take lane will return next week. But Dan, what's your take on the latest miserable chapter in N17. Last night was pretty bleak and I think it really had the feel of end of days for me. I think even before the game, the pretense that the Conte reign you know, could and would continue for much longer had kind of slipped. The cat was kind of out of the bag. It was an open secret that it was coming to an end. And obviously with Spurs now being out of the last cup competition, out of two cups within the space of a week, I think we can definitively say that you know, he's definitely not going to be the manager next season and, and probably not for much longer as well. You know, He looks done. Um, the fans have turned, they're done. Um, that was clear by the reaction and the mood in the stadium last night. Um, the players look done to me, uh, evidenced by Richarlison you know, having the confidence to come out and have a pop at Conte and the coaching staff. And the only question left is, is when will the club be done? You know, when will Daniel Levy decide that enough is enough and that it's in his interest to to make a change? And we'll get into that, I think. There's lots to discuss, you know, when, wow, uh, why, how that happens. Um, but I think there's a real sense of finality leaving the stadium last night that even if Conte limps on for a few more weeks, a few more games, or even to the end of the season, it did feel like last night was was the kind of end game in his underwhelming tenure, really. 
Yeah, just to add to that, I think Dan was down the mix zone last night. I was in the press conference and it really did kind of feel like Antonio Conte was going through the motions in that press conference, answered about three questions, saying the same stuff we've heard all season. And um, there's such a paradox in what he says about needing time and patience and yet not committing his long-term future to the club. I mean, we're well past that now. That, that was a that was a real sort of quandary before the World Cup when it felt like maybe he might sign a new contract. But now it just seems almost ridiculous to say it because we pretty much know he's not going to be there. So, you know, when is this time patience going to happen? And, um, you know, I agree with Dan and everything he said. The players seem to have had enough. He looks like he's had enough. And the performance last night just... I don't really, I don't really buy this time patience sort of thing anymore, really, because he's been there for over a year, and the team just felt like it was going backwards to only have two shots on target in that match against the. Uh, uh, Milan had a few dangerous players and probably should have won the game, but they're hardly a vintage side um, compared to the years gone by. And like I say, to to not create any chance or hardly any chances. Uh, you can just see how the Spurs fans have, have had enough and everyone has done. And it's just a matter of time now. Tom A, in terms of the manner of the performance, the one thing I, I tried to remember in an attempt to defend the way Spurs set about the game, certainly the first half, was that because they were 1-0 down, Conte would have made it very clear that if we concede another one, we're almost certainly out. We've got to be a little bit careful. And Spurs have had a tendency to go stronger as a match has developed. Does that explain at all the limp nature of what turned out to be the whole 90 minutes? I think it was it was really what we've what we've seen all season really from, from Spurs under Conte. And and the only kind of shock really, if there was any, was that it came in this in this game of such magnitude when you were thinking, okay, it's a it's a huge night, you know. Conte's back in the dugout. The fans are all there. They've got to come back from one nil down against a you know prestigious opponent. All the ingredients are there for kind of a rousing performance, you know, and uh, exploding out of the blocks. And yet we saw pretty much what we've seen all season from Tottenham. There was no change, even though the circumstances were exceptional. The performance was incredibly familiar, and that just I think speaks to almost that the players. I don't know if stop listening is is too strong, but that whatever it is that Conte is saying, whatever his plan is, it's clearly not working. It hasn't been working for a long time. I think, you know, there is a, a distinct difference between the way Conte Tottenham was playing last season and the way they played this season. You know, I understand the, the reservations people have about Conte's style of football, but the truth is that when it works and when it when it goes well, his counter-attacking style can be actually extremely exciting. It can be very exhilarating to watch. You know, this isn't a kind of a, it doesn't have to be a, you know, a backs behind the wall kind of style. But Tottenham just haven't been that this season, you know, and, and throughout this game, they hardly created the chance. What well, the, the best opening they had was that Kane header right at the end. They've got great, you know, three really fantastic attacking players on the pitch. None of them are performing really to their to their levels. The fans had very little to cheer about, even if they wanted to. And they did try, in my opinion, to get behind the team. But there just was so little to hang on to that that's that why there just isn't this kind of atmosphere or this um, support at the moment for the team. And it was, you know, obviously summed up in a way by that substitution that was made with eight minutes left, Spurs needing a goal to stay in the tie, you know, and Conte brings on, you know, Sanchez for for Kulusevski, which, you know, I just think 
in a way that is where this team has got to now. And I, I spoke to someone in Italy this morning about Conte and what they thought about it. And they were just saying that, they, that he looks almost completely unrecognisable from the from the manager that they that they know and and respect so much that they just see the fire has, has gone out of his belly, basically. And I think you can see that now in the Tottenham team that this is no longer a team that is is playing for Conte and is no longer really playing for anything, to be honest. You know, it's a it's insipid, it's 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 dull, it's it's pedestrian, it's all those words that you want to say. And that is a reflection at the moment, the mindset of the manager. Well, that's what managing Tottenham does to you. Uh, and there's about 15 current managers who, who will vouch for that, be it 16 months if you last a bit longer. It always ends the same way. Yeah, that substitution, and I've seen some footage, close-up footage of Ryan Mason appearing to shake his head and look on in disbelief as he sees the change that is being made, which, Dan, suggests to me it's not just the players. There seems to be a degree of dissension, bewilderment amongst the coaching staff as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that substitution will be long remembered, much in the same way that bringing Lucas off was remembered under Nuno and kind of spelled the end, beginning of the end for Nuno, the boos in the Man United game in El Sacico. I think this will be a similar moment for Conte. And, and really, for me, it just spoke to the fact that he doesn't care anymore, that he's checked out. He must have known what the reaction would have been in the stadium to that change. I wouldn't necessarily go for, so far as to say it was a, an outright provocation, but it, it didn't feel far off that, honestly. I felt before the game, his manner in the press conference was pretty flat, low energy, and it looked then as if he'd checked out. As Tom B says, I wasn't in the presser afterwards, but I think his actions on the night really demonstrate that he's just not invested anymore. There was a very telling comment after the game where he joked that the club might sack him before the end of his contract. And again, I almost wonder whether that's wishful thinking on his part. You know, does he uh, quite fancy now being given the boot, getting a payoff uh, rather than having to go through the motions uh, for the final 12 games of the season? And yeah, to, to pick up on what Tom Ornott said about the football, to not really threaten this Milan side um, when trailing for 173 minutes in the tie is really damning. Uh, it's no longer remotely exciting or effective, his style of play. And it was just completely inadequate for the circumstances of the game last night. Um, he tried the same thing he tries in every single game, which is effectively to contain and counterattack. But Milan had absolutely no incentive to give Spurs the space they need for that system to be effective. You know, they, they kept four men back at all times. Tomori had a very good game, just kind of sweeping up behind. The story of the first half was Kane creating promising situations, but Kulisevsky running headlong into two defenders because Milan just didn't need to commit players forward. Um, it was blatantly obvious that Spurs needed a different game plan, but Conte just doesn't appear to have one. Everyone at halftime was kind of joking that Spurs didn't know the score in the tie. It was that bad. And, and honestly, I think if you'd have shown someone the first half and, and not told them the, the score from the first leg, it would have been very hard for them to say this team's trailing. It, you, they would probably have said it was a nil-nil because it was that cagey. I don't accept the premise as well that Spurs should have tried not to concede another goal because that would have killed the tie. You know, they're more than capable of scoring two, three, four goals of the firepower they have, but they just don't look like ever doing that under Conte, um, which again just speaks to how far expectations have been lowered.
We've spoken a lot this season about forward players being out of form, you know, Sun Hing Min in particular. But now when it's the fact that it's not just him, it's not just Kulisevsky, it's not just Richarlison when he plays. To be honest, Kane was pretty ineffective last night. I know he had that chance right at the end. Then you've got to start looking at the manager and the way they're, they're setting up. Which is which is really worrying. I mean, Dan says that you know they, they're capable of scoring two goals. I'm not sure they were going into that game last night. I I wasn't convinced they would keep a clean sheet. Obviously, they did in the end, but that's what I thought would end up doing for them. I just didn't really fancy them scoring more than one goal because they just don't create any chances. And it feels like whoever comes in next, there's quite a lot of things they can do to to win over the fans very quickly. But top of the maybe right up the list is just showing some tactical flexibility. Conte's so wedded to the three at the back that it it just exasperating for fans to see when it's not when it's not working. Uh, we've been in press conferences. I don't remember Dan asking about it. Uh, you know, every so often one of us asks the question, knowing what the answer is going to be, but it just feels like it's got to the point where it needs to be asked again uh, about whether he might deviate from his 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 beloved three at the back. And he doesn't. So again, so as, as I said, whoever comes in next, if they just show a bit of uh, flexibility and mixing up every so often, they'll they'll be on to a winner. And and it's interesting about that, the fan reaction to that to that substitution. I mean, you all, you all three of you are very strong on on that. I felt actually at the time, you know, they had had just had, just had Romero sent off, and they were left with Emerson. Poro and Longley at the back. So I kind of sort of understood it a bit. Obviously, they're chasing the game. But I thought the the reaction at halftime was the most telling from the fans' point of view throughout the match. It wasn't everyone booing, but it was a big part of the South Stand, who obviously, you know, sort of diehard part of the crowd. And it really just showed, bear in mind, it's nil-nil. They're one-nil down in the Champions League last 16. There's everything to play for as badly as they're playing. And it was just... They'd, all, they'd basically given up and they wanted to, the whole thing to be put out of, out of its misery. And that really showed you how it's felt like for a while there's been no way back. You know, even if they'd made it through, they probably would have been thrashed in the next next round if they'd drawn a Real Madrid, for example. And um, just everybody seems to have had enough. Just to pick you up on the substitution point there, I, I do take that point that you need a platform if you're going to keep attacking. But then why not bring on Dan Juma at the same time? You know, you know w- w- why not? think outside the box a little bit. I think it, it was just not only the fact that, that Sanchez came on, but I think the fact that there just seemed to be no plan. Um, and Marcus referenced that Mason clip that's doing around on social media. And it, it appears to be kind of Kane coming over and asking Conte what the plan is when Sanchez is, is about to come on. And, and Mason's just kind of shrugging, shaking his head, um, <laughs> which I think speaks to the fact that you know, he didn't didn't know what Spurs were trying to do to get that goal in the final kind of five minutes plus stoppage time. Well, the case of Dan Juma is a fascinating one. He has barely been given a chance. You'd think he'd be, you know, desperate to come in and make a positive impact. He was in the Champions League team of the season last season. I mean, not like he can't do it at this level. Agreed. And and when he signed, you know, we talked about his his backstory and his time before at Bournemouth and we referenced him being a difficult character. And I'm not saying I've heard anything about that being a problem at Tottenham, but it is interesting that he hasn't, he just hasn't been given a look in. And it almost feels like with Conte and picking the players that he's, he's relied upon for so long, even if they're out of form, it's been, it's a little bit like Gareth Southgate, um, obviously staying on now, but when we weren't sure what was going on, you know, long-term sticking with Maguire, sticking with the players that he's trusted, albeit for him, it was over a 
long period of relative success whereas Conte's only been here for <laughs> what, 15 months all right yes they made the Champions League and that was a big achievement but yeah he's just he's just relied on these on these guys that for a long time have been underperforming although it comes back to my point before that with so many of them underperforming you have to start looking at the at the manager rather than the individuals but yeah I, I I agree I agree Dan Juma why hasn't he been given a chance just just to try something different at this point um, and you you got to wonder, you know, if Conte does stay to the end of the season, it's hard to see Dan Juma staying long term if he hasn't even even played a game. And talking of players who haven't been given a chance, we'll come on to Richarlison in a moment and some of the very strong comments he had for Brazilian TV after the match against Milan. I just want to go back, though, to, you know, the reason for the substitution, the sending off of Romero, compounding the misery when the best of our back three shows so much ill discipline and the fact that it was pretty predictable once he got that yellow card early on I turned to a couple of people and said well I I don't think he'll see out the 90 minutes and and yet as a professional footballer such an experienced pro a world cup winner knowing the situation what on earth made him fly into that challenge and what does that say about the mentality of some of our best players I think you often see it when a, when a team is kind of unraveling. The symptoms are often sort of visible in these kind of things. You see sendings off, you see kind of like high scoring matches, big heroic comebacks. And it's almost like the team loses control and the shackles kind of come off and everything gets a bit wild. And I think you do often see this in the, towards the end of managerial tenures. It can sometimes even be a positive thing. You know, you can see a team suddenly score three goals out of nowhere, but it doesn't really last. It tends to be sort of fleeting last uh, uh, last hurrah, if you like, and in this case, obviously, it clearly wasn't a hurrah at all for Spurs. It was a, it was a, it was a senseless thing to do. I have to hold my my hands up a little bit because I've always been a huge fan of of Romero as a player, but also of his tackling. Like I, I tend to find that watching Romero in matches fly into people and uh, and and clatter them and, and often take the ball is is a real sort of throwback to kind of old school tackling, and I've, I've always really enjoyed it. So I think, in a way, to kind of for now, for me to kind of say it's uh, it was completely idiotic, I guess, for maybe be slightly hypocritical, but there's no doubt that you know he needed to needed to manage the game better there. I mean, Romero's come back from the World Cup and his disciplinary record is 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 quite something. I think he's basically had a yellow card in almost every match. He's got sent off twice, and I think there just is a general sense, as you as you mentioned with Richarlison as well, that Conte is is losing control, and maybe that's just a physical thing because he hasn't been there for 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 the best part of a month. But also, I think it's a psychological thing. The players can feel that this is now now coming to an end. That they know that they have manager who isn't committed, who isn't going to stay, who has made mistakes in the last week, and I think that has angered some of the players. There's definitely a feeling that the Sheffield United game um, was a was an unnecessary blip. You know, just as you have to remember, that it was it wasn't that long ago now, two or three weeks ago, when actually we felt like Spurs were perhaps turning a corner. You know, after that City game. They played pretty well. They were putting together a few results here and there. It looked like that they might be sort of, you know, crescendoing to a, to a decent finish. But obviously, in the space of a week, everything's just come tumbling down. And I think a lot of the players look at that Sheffield United game and, and think, why on earth did we approach that match like that? And we, we heard from Kane after the game yesterday. He was saying that he felt that that match, if they'd won, they would have taken momentum into the weekend and perhaps it would, have been, it would look very different now. But I think all these little things are very much part of the bigger picture of a manager and a club that is uh, is losing control of, of where the team is at. Just on Romero, I don't want to excuse him from blame because it was senseless and it was stupid and it was 
you know costly in terms of the last five minutes. But when the performance is that insipid and lacking tempo and energy, he's the kind of player that feels it's his job to inject a bit of intensity. You know, he's always felt that you know he can set the tone from the back, and I think possibly part of the fact that he's flying into these tackles is, is just to kind of get people going. You know, Barney Roney had a line in, in, at the end of his Spurs uh, match report about sometimes you just need to feel something in reference to Romero. And, and I kind of get that, you know, he's he's part of this performance that's very, very flat on a very, very big stage. And I think, you know, partly he's just trying to, you know, inject a bit of energy in there in, in, in a kind of way that he knows how. And obviously he's he's crossed the line and it, it's stupid and he shouldn't have. But, uh, you know, from that point of view, well, I do sympathise. I mean, that's that was partly why he was brought in, wasn't he? I mean, same as Richarlison, to add that kind of um, nous, that aggression, that Conte, I remember in the summer talking about it, felt like the team were lacking, that they were too nice historically. But um, he, you know, talked about the, the paradox of Conte's words about needing time and patience and yet being out the door. I mean, Romero is a paradox in himself. Like he's a liability, and yet when they when he's not there, they look half the team when he is there, as long as he's staying on the pitch. Like Sheffield United was a prime example of that. The lack of intensity in the team when he wasn't there was really noticeable. And I I just don't think you can you can underestimate how big a defeat that Sheffield United game was. As Tom said. Kane referenced it yesterday and he, he described it as like a dagger in the heart. It was quite quite emotive phrase from him he, because of the momentum, where they were going, how they had improved off the back of this inconsistent season and to just completely have it evaporate in one awful night at Bramwell Lane has had a has had a hangover over the last week and it's all just completely, completely unraveled. So when we look back on this season, I really do feel like that particular match will be the one we went that was what might have been, what should have been, but what wasn't. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just felt like an own goal. We went down that road last week. There's there's no point revisiting it now. But we've touched upon Richarlison a couple of times. He came on for the final few minutes, did not have an opportunity to influence anything. His body language, actually, in, in the few minutes that he was on the pitch, I thought was very negative. And afterwards, when speaking to Brazilian television, he said, in a nutshell, it's been a shit season and he can't understand why, having me given a couple of starts in London derbies, in which Spurs won recently, he was put back on the bench, having been told, if I'm not getting this wrong, that uh, if he could prove his fitness before last night, he was going to start. So in the circumstances, guys, is Richarlison within his rights to have come out and said what he said on Wednesday night? I think the first thing to say about this is that it's not a good sign for Conte when players start breaking ranks like this. And it very much felt like the kind of interview a player gives when they know the manager's going to be sacked or they know the manager's not going to be there for a long time and they don't care anymore. Um, I mean, I'll let the other guys talk about whether it's justified. I think he he had a case. Um, but but for me, the, the sort of big takeaway from that was the fact that there's no longer that fear factor uh, in the dressing room anymore. It would have been unthinkable for a player to you know, question Conte even a few weeks ago, really. But, you know, that is obviously no longer the case. I think if if, if what he says is correct about what he was led to believe, by you know, proving his fitness, then he's got every right to be annoyed. And he has been overlooked at times when perhaps others have been given chances 
you know, Son and, and, and Kulisevsky more of a run of the team. But it's not like he's been pulling up any trees either. I mean, Sheffield United back to that game, that was the, the biggest sort of disappointment of his season from a Tottenham point of view playing in what we think is his favourite position, playing through the middle. And he was he was really poor. But uh, in other games, yeah, he's a bit of an agent of chaos, isn't he? Uh, often when he comes off the bench, is quite useful when that back to that sort of injection of intensity and making things happen. That's often when he's really useful. But for £60 million, you want more than that. You want a player that's ready to start to make a big difference. And I can't think really... Apart from the Marseille game, which was obviously the only game where he scored his goals, and maybe coming off the bench against Chelsea in a two-two, there aren't that many games where he's he's really, really ripped it up either. But then, to be fair, in that interview, which was fascinating and uh, and full of you know emotive phrases, he did also say that you know I, I haven't played well enough effectively, and and I can't just cry about my poor season. I've got to do better. So he he's well aware of it too. And you know Spurs long term because this is a player who's there for the long term or should be based on the contract he signed he 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 does definitely need to improve but he also needs to get more more chances to improve he needs a he needs a run in the team to get there i think he had a point about the chelsea and west ham games i mean he played okay i think he was involved in both goals in the chelsea game he was involved in the move for the first and then won the corner for the second by kane uh, and then he was given another go at sheffield united but i don't think he was poor, but I don't think you know that was grounds for necessarily dropping him for Wolves, particularly given the way Son's played this season. So I think he did have a case. Um, he added intensity again, as we've just talked about with Romero against West Ham and Chelsea, which has been sorely lacking. And and just Son's been so off it all year. Um, Conte's faith in him does seem a little misplaced, I think. The only caveat, the comeback I'll, I'll have on that is at least with Son, he seems to get chances. He's not taking them, as we saw at Wolves. You know, he should have scored, and it was a good deflection from the defender to take it onto the crossbar. But Richarlison, when he plays, there aren't many chances that he creates himself. And if you look, you know, with the way Tottenham are, they're so limited on chances. They they need to pick the players that are are making them happen. And I don't, I don't really, whilst. I, there's a spot open because the players aren't playing well enough up front, his son in particular and Kulisevsky. Richarlison's not hasn't also been making enough of a case either. So whilst I on the one hand, I feel like he, he deserves a bit more of a run of the team to give him a go. I don't think he's making himself, you know, undroppable, clearly. Okay, well, we're not going to go to too much detail about who might at some point succeed Antonio Conte. But heading into the weekend in a game with Nottingham Forest, which I suspect will be played in front of the lowest attendance, certainly for a league game in the new stadium, based on everyone apparently trying to get rid of their tickets for this weekend. Do you guys, first of all, think that Conte is at least going to last until the end of the season? Tom A. I think it depends a little bit on what happens now in the next week or two. I mean, it could even depend on what happens on Saturday, to be honest. I think basically Daniel Levy will be very much weighing up what is the best option now for Spurs to hang on to fourth place. It's obviously a, a huge financial um, priority for the club to qualify again for the Champions League. Um, and if there is signs this weekend, I mean, you know, the first option would, would have been to sack Conte straight away after the game, i.e. this morning and today. That looks like it's not going to happen. If he gets the weekend game, then I, I guess that will be the first evidence 
is this team going to be able to respond now in the running? You know, I mean, we have to remember that this kind of feels like a situation where Spurs should be eighth with Brian Mason in charge and about to kind of try and sneak into the Conference League. But strangely, they are fourth, you know, like they are actually still in pole position to qualify for the for the top four. And I guess, obviously, we, we kind of assume that Liverpool are going to be right there because of their form and Spurs, you know, are no longer even the favourites to hold on to that position. But if Conte can get the team going again, this is at least in theory a scenario that should favour him. You know, he's a coach that does his best work on the training ground, famously. Spurs have tended to do their best work when they've had time to prepare for games. Their good run at the end of last season came when they were focusing fully on the Premier League. So there are some circumstances here, some um, conditions that at least should play into the team's favour now in, in, in the running. So I think if they can get a good result against Forest, then maybe they give Conte the rest of the season, not least because obviously they will then avoid having to pay off you know, some of the money from the remainder of this contract. But I would say, and it is a big but, I think if there's any sign this weekend that the players aren't going to respond um, if there's any sign that they're not going to get fourth and this season is going to fizzle out, then I think it'll be very much on on Daniel Levy's mind next week to make a change imminently because that will be their best chance of qualifying for the top four, number one. And number two, there are some good options available right now. And it's worth saying that one advantage Tottenham could have in making a change now is that in two or three months' time, they might be battling with the likes of Real Madrid, PSG, possibly Bayern Munich for any of these candidates. Whereas as, as they found with Julian Nagelsmann last time, when they wanted to appoint him and Bayern got in, in front of them, that situation can change. So if, if they at the moment have at least the ability to speak to Pochettino and Tuchel without Real Madrid lurking in the background, then that is definitely something that I think Levy will be mindful of. But I think first and foremost, the most important thing is to see how do the team respond this weekend in a game they should win against a team they should beat. But I think if there is any sign that this is going to linger and fester, that the AC Milan result is now going to create a situation where the rest of the season is going to be a write-off, then I can see uh, I can see the club acting pretty quickly. I think there's maybe three considerations for leaving the club. I mean, the first one being how are they best placed to get fourth place again? And that's the only factor that will even slightly redeem this wasted season. Um, is it Conte? Is it someone else? Is it a new manager now? Is it a caretaker? Um, the second one will be who picks the new manager. There's obviously a, a lot of doubt about Paratici's own position. You know, he's facing this two and a half year ban from Italian football. He's got an appeal um, which is expected to be heard within uh, a month. Um, if he loses that, the ban is likely to be extended to Europe and the rest of the world, which would you know, obviously make his position at Spurs untenable. So is he allowed to choose the next manager um, before that appeal comes up? I mean, that feels potentially risky. And then I guess the, the, the third factor is kind of the you know, terms of Conte's contract and, and payoff and and how that's going to work. Because we know, we know that Conte, um, you know, judging on how he left Chelsea, doesn't necessarily um, take things lying down. I think, obviously, Conte's had a really difficult year. He's lost three close friends. It's made him consider his future um, in life, in inside the game and out by his own admission. And he's obviously then had this illness and emergency surgery, which, um, you know, is, is not something that should be dismissed or taken lightly. I think that is a very good premise for everyone to, to call time on this venture and say he's had a difficult year. He's been away from his family in Turin. He needs to be closest to them. He's lost friends. It's not about the club. It's about him. 
you know, that would certainly be my kind of strategy if I was Spurs and, and, and looking to end this relationship. That's the way I'd want to kind of play it. But again, whether Conte kind of accepts that um, remains to be seen. You know, he might want to kind of hang on and, and go out swinging. Well, of course, only time will tell what's going to happen. We've mentioned a couple of, of the possible successes. Pochettino, of course, will be popular with a lot of people. Thomas Tuchel as well. I know that Luis Enrique's name has been mentioned. Some are talking about Roberto De Zerbi, who's done such a fantastic job so quickly at Brighton and, and Ryan Mason. If not David Pleat, where's David Pleat when you need an emergency caretaker manager? I, I believe he's still around. So maybe it's Pleat between now and the end of the season. But quickly, guys, uh, if there's one name at the moment, you've got to give me one name out of all the possibles to succeed the beleaguered Conte. And I know Tuchel's got the brackets ex-Chelsea manager alongside him, which could put a lot of people off. But where would your vote go right now if Daniel Levy turned to you, Tom Barkley, and said, who shall I appoint as Antonio Conte's successor? If he can swallow his pride, then Daniel Levy, that is, then Richo Pochettino. I think I think it's what the fans fans want. It's uh, you know obviously the board have been getting a bit of flack this season from the supporters, and that would be the the crowd pleasing choice. And also someone who played wonderful football. Uh, yes, it might feel like going back to the future, but I don't think it's as simple as just saying, "Oh, this is just three years of wasted time." We should just. I mean, yeah, obviously in hindsight that might have been the best thing to do and back him more at the time. But it's all about circumstance and, and context. And I feel like, uh, you know, cliche, but a lot of water has passed under the bridge since then. And and maybe it's the right time for, for him to come back as long as he, as long as he wants it. And there are, there aren't other options for him in the summer. It comes back to what you were saying about now's the time because in the summer there could be other alternatives for various candidates they're looking at. And Pochettino could well be one of them. Real Madrid's obviously the potentially uh, big competitor if Carlo Ancelotti were to, to leave. But yeah, he he's the one. It's not just the romantic choice, but also I think it makes a lot. It ticks a lot of boxes for me. I really like Poch as a manager, and I really really enjoyed covering him and following Spurs when he was at the club. I'm a bit wary of him coming back because it would feel to me like it maybe wasn't necessarily for the right reasons. It would kind of feel like, and I think I've said this before, like going back to a, an old relationship because you'd broken up and I hadn't managed to find anyone better. Um, not necessarily because it was for the right reasons. I think going back just doesn't often work. But you know, I'm, I'm all for it. I'd, I kind of would love it to happen, that said. But I, I definitely think there is a case for Spurs um, trying to find the next potch. I really like the Zerbi at Brighton. Um, I don't think that will happen for various reasons, but he plays attacking football and he, he seems to have that kind of Pochian charisma and force of personality. And you know, the way he got rid of Trossard was kind of reminiscent of the way Poch was happy to dispense with kind of senior players from the dressing room in his first season at Tottenham. Uh, there, there are a few, but I think... The Poch situation will depend on Paratici. Um, I don't think Paratici wants to hire Pochettino. Um, I don't think there's room for the two of them at the club. Paratici is there at the training ground every day, often on the touchlines, watching training, you know, kind of cycling around Hotspur Way or, or going around in a golf buggy, you know, very hands-on 
managing director of football. Um, when Potter was at the club, he was the king of the training ground. You know, he was um, the kind of leader. He was the charismatic presence while Levy's focus was on the stadium and he'd want it to be the same um, if he came back. And I don't think there's space for the two of them. I think Pratishi probably knows that um, and would know that his power would be massively reduced by Pochettino, who's not someone who's always enjoyed working with directors of football, but has generally worked with them quite well. So I think, yeah, again, we we wait for Pratishi's appeal um, for that situation to unfold, which which should happen by the end of the season, I'm told. But... Um, I think that will that will kind of hold the key as to whether we're having sort of Poch 2.0. I feel like the Poch sort of discussion almost comes down to kind of how you feel about, I don't know, I don't want to get too deep about it, but it's almost like, what do you want from your football team? You know, I mean, I, I almost think that Pochettino is the sort of emotional, uh, fun, sentimental, feel-good appointment. I don't think he's the sensible, correct, ticks-the-most-boxes appointment. But maybe the first, you know, boxes are enough, you know, and I think Tottenham right now and the fan base are, are absolutely craving all of those things. And there would undoubtedly be a huge uplift if if they did go for Pochettino. I personally think if they could get Tuchel, then I think he is the outstanding available candidate. He plays a, a very modern style of football, extremely clever with his tactics. He has a very good record in, in, in Europe, uh, as we saw at Chelsea, obviously. He has managed in the Premier League. He speaks great English. He even has like a a childhood story about Spurs where he used to run around the garden, you know, pretending he was Jürgen Klinsmann or something. I can't quite remember it. He he, he told the story when he was Dortmund manager in the Europa League a, a fair few years ago. And I can imagine he's the kind of character that even with his Chelsea history that would go down very well quite quickly with the Spurs fan base. But I understand that he is not Maurizio Pochettino. You know, he isn't Poch. He doesn't have that history. He doesn't have that ready-made connection. Um, and I can very much see the the attraction of 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 going back to uh, to Pochettino again and, and hoping that it comes off. I agree with you on 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 Tuchel for a lot of those reasons you just said, and also the fact that he likes a back three. I think is whilst, as I said earlier, that whoever comes in next. You know, by showing a bit of tactical flexibility, that will go down well. But the way this squad's been built with wingbacks who I don't really fancy playing fullback, um, you know, particularly, you know, Poro is just is coming in for massive amounts of money. Obviously, Perisic is getting on a little bit, but on the left-hand side, they don't really have that either. That would be a good fit, which would means that you wouldn't have to splash out loads more money on on, on sort of traditional fullbacks. And I, I think he'd be great for a lot of reasons and fantastic for the media he de- after the sort of potch comeback story he'd definitely be second on my list just purely from a journalistic point of view i think we all agree on that but um it's just the fact that you look at his record in terms of how long he stays at clubs and it, it would feel like another appointment where i don't know if you see it sort of as a sort of long-term building project if there are many of those in football anymore it, it almost feels like where are we at with Tottenham now is that is that what we're trying to get back to which is what Pochettino was doing or are they now another club where it isn't so much a, a sort of long-term building project kind of club and they do look for elite managers or on face of it elite managers to just carry them on for season to season uh, and then if that is the case, then then I think, yeah, I agree. He's he is probably the outstanding candidate. But um it does feel like, as Glenn Hoddle said, said last night, Tottenham a bit of a crossroads, and I'm not quite sure if they are now in that bracket of of 
of other clubs that aren't looking for a sort of long-term build, particularly when you've got, well, we don't know what's going to happen with Kane, but the two best players, you know, entering their, their sort of um, more, not twilight years quite yet, but they're obviously not, not, not that young anymore or whether they do want to get back to that. Cause if that's the case, then I don't know if Tuchel is the right, the right pick for that reason. I think that really gets to the heart of what Spurs have to be thinking about over the next appointment. I mean, I, I don't, really think win now managers exist in football anymore certainly not in the Premier League I don't think anyone's going to be able to ever do what Conte did at Chelsea when he came in won the title in his first season by going on that 13 or 14 game winning streak um, it's just too competitive now and you actually need a manager who's going to come in with a uh, a vision for at least you know two to three seasons I mean even Guardiola didn't win the league in his first season at, at City if I'm not mistaken um, Klopp didn't at Liverpool, you know, it, it takes time even for these massive super clubs who are state backed to to gel under a manager. So, uh, you know, that there has to be someone um, who's going to, you know, be willing to, you know, maybe have a difficult couple of years. Uh, particularly, you know, the elephant in the room is if Kane leaves, which I think, you know, is only increased in likelihood after the last week. I like Tuchel for all the reasons that that the Toms have outlined, but. Hiring a fifth former Chelsea boss, I think would just be just be getting off on the wrong foot with Spurs fans from the start. And I genuinely think that's a thing now. Levy hired too many former Chelsea bosses, and I don't think he should do it again. And for that reason alone, I would I would rule out Tuchel. I see. For me, from the outside, you know, in terms of not being a Spurs fan, does it really matter that much? Is it not on all an individual basis? Wouldn't bother me. It wouldn't bother me, guys. I, you know what, I I take. Dan's point that there is no manager now who can come in and do what Conte did at Chelsea straight away. And those examples of Guardiola and Popper, excellent. But Tuchel gets teams to cup finals. That's all I want. Just win a cup. And I think Tuchel could do that. And I think back to the closing... And so did Conte before he came to Spurs. Well, I know. I mean, so did Mourinho. The, the thing about coming to Spurs is that there is the curse that it's all Gus Poyet's fault, as we heard a couple of weeks ago on, on this very podcast. But I, I just... Think back to the closing months of the Pochettino era. And I, I love what Poch did. We all love what Poch did, but I think we're all forgetting how poor Spurs were towards the end. I remember that game against Sheffield United, which just preceded his departure. It was awful. And as wonderful as that run to the Champions League final was, let's face it, we got very lucky against Manchester City. We got very lucky against Ajax. We were awful in the first leg of the semi-final at home. And for Large chunks of the second leg, we were awful. And then the miracle of Mora existed. And I don't think we should forget that. And the fact that Pochettino did not take the domestic cups that seriously. So I think it's a good analogy that Dan mentioned. It's like going back to an old lover because you haven't found anybody else. And for me, it would be a mistake. But um, maybe I'll be proved wrong. I'm probably a bit blinding because I'm listening to uh, an audible the book that Guillaume Balaguer wrote about his 16-17 season, Brave New World, which is really interesting to listen back to it. And obviously that was a really high time of Pochettino's reign. So I'm, yeah, maybe I am overlooking how it how it all unraveled. But I guess the other question I would like to ask you, Marcus, and, and you guys is is how important like for the next appointment is it about the style of play? Is that is that the primary thing now? Because bef- before it was about winning, it was about trying to get a trophy. But 
this is kind of what I was saying about how time, the context is really important regarding Pochettino and how a lot has changed in these three years of Mourinho, Nuno and Conte, that there's there's been a, a switch in a lot of fans' minds over what really does matter. And it, it seems to me that actually above winning a trophy, maybe not for everyone, it's it's enjoying watching football every week. I think starter play is always a bit of a red herring. It's, it is always results that matter. That is the bottom line. If Spurs were winning every week playing Conte's football, then supporters would, would be loving it. That That's obvious. But I think this is a little bit binary, but that there's a progressive way of playing now in football. And then there's another way of playing. And if you look at literally all the top nine teams apart from Spurs and possibly Newcastle, although I think that's maybe unfair on Eddie Howe because he does like his players to get on the ball. They all play a kind of progressive, dominate possession, press, start a play, you know, move the ball quickly and look after it. And and Conte Spurs don't. Um, so if if that way of playing was still effective and, and got results, then I don't think it would be a problem. Um, and, and that's true of the new manager as well. If, if you know, if he came in and had a new system that you know didn't uh, require a lot of possession but was winning every week, fine. But the fact is that style of football now looks outdated and ineffective. And I think it's been worked out by other teams for months now. You know, it's really since the, since the turn of the seasons, teams know how Spurs are going to play and they've adapted accordingly. Yeah, style of play is very important <laughs> as long as you win something. And 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 Dan's absolutely right on that front. Um, listen, it, it's another very difficult week. We appreciate everybody listening and, and and hopefully concurring with some of our thoughts. The next few days will be vital. What's going to happen against Nottingham Forest? Will that precipitate changes? Well, whatever unfolds over the course of the next few days, we'll be back next week to try and make more sense of it. But in the meantime, Dan Kilpatrick of the Evening Standard, thank you very much indeed. Tom Barkley of The Sun, thank you very much indeed. Tom Allnut of The Times, thank you very much indeed. I am Marcus Buckland. Thank you for listening. Do give us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter and Instagram at The Tottenham Way, and you can follow us all on Twitter too. Things will get better one day. In the meantime... For God's sake, come on, you Spurs. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.